Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you've heard anybody talking about the New Orleans economy recently, you will have heard about a segment of it that's come to be called the cultural economy. The bars, clubs, restaurants, and festivals that make up the cultural economy are the main reasons millions of tourists and conventioneers come to New Orleans. And as we've discovered during the COVID pandemic, when visitors stop coming, our cultural economy is now the financial lifeblood of the whole city. One of the strongest elements of the New Orleans cultural economy is music. Although it might normally go without saying that music is played by musicians, it's important to make that point because in the case of the New Orleans cultural economy, we have two very different types of music and two very different types of musicians. They're so different, in fact, that New Orleans musicians operate in what is essentially two parallel universes. Almost all of our tourist music is generated on Bourbon Street, Frenchman Street, and at private gigs for conventions. But New Orleanians almost never go to Bourbon Street to hear music, and Frenchman Street has become more like Bourbon Street, so we're increasingly less likely to go there either. And you can live your whole life here without ever going to an event at the convention center. The live music New Orleanians listen to is almost totally unrelated to the tourist-driven cultural economy. The local live music industry happens mostly in clubs and bars outside of the French Quarter, and it's mostly funded by our local economy. In other words, local non-Bourbon Street musicians keep the lights on at home as a result of whatever you and I pay when we go out and hear music. My guests on Out to Lunch today are both members of that locally supported music economy. Andrew Duhon is a New Orleans singer-songwriter. His album, The Moorings, was nominated for a Grammy, and he's been praised in the rock press, including by critics at Rolling Stone. He tours widely across the country and in Europe, and locally you can catch Andrew live in a number of settings, from the intimate confines of Chickiwawa to the big stage at Jazz Fest. Andrew Duhon, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me, Peter. Good to be here. In certain circles, both in New Orleans and around the world, Musa Alves is a celebrity and a tastemaker. Musa is a DJ. For many years, she was based in New York and has DJed in clubs and concerts and music festivals around the world in too many countries to list here, including Russia, Spain, Egypt, Greece, Singapore, and many more. Musa got her start here in New Orleans as a teenager promoting dance parties in the French Quarter, where she grew up with her mother, who for nearly 50 years has been a piano player at Pat O'Brien's. Musa Elvez, welcomed out to lunch. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> Musa and Andrew, I want to start by asking you both the same question. As I mentioned, there's a central and strange contradiction to being a New Orleans musician. 
The tourist-driven music business is a multi-million dollar industry churning away almost 24 hours a day, kind of like an oil refinery. But New Orleans musicians who write, produce, and play original music mostly don't have access to much of this revenue. To make a living, you're forced out of town and onto the road. On the one hand, that makes sense. You, you want to broaden your audience beyond your hometown. But on the other hand, when you look objectively at the structure and size of the tourist music economy, you have to wonder if there's not a way to take some of that vast tourist revenue and funnel it into the local music industry. The objective would be twofold. One, to get local musicians compensated enough so you could stick around town. And two, to get some of the millions of tourists who say they come here to hear music to actually hear real New Orleans musicians, not just Bourbon Street cover bands. Do you think there's any way to achieve this, Musa? Um, yeah, I do think so. Um... There's a few ways. Um, the first one being, I have uh, been lucky enough to curate music for uh, some businesses in New Orleans um, and was able to then buy music from local musicians. And um, I get paid for the service. And then I also get to financially support the locals of the city by buying their music. And then they're being streamed throughout businesses. And I think that that's a really untapped market here. Um, I've only done it for two places, but I think that it's a concept that's hopefully going to be growing and could be a good opportunity for locals to be get exposure, get paid. People, you know, would shazam their songs in there. And also, um, you know, on the, on the, other side of this, uh, like you were saying about touring and, and making more money and getting more exposure, leaving town, I mean, I couldn't, that resonates with me so much <laughs> because I've, um, you know, people would be like, why don't you play here more? And I'm like, because I'm just begging my friends to come see me versus like having that built in, um, like, you know, clientele at different venues. It's unfortunately, and bars, please don't not book me after this, but there's it's usually a percentage of the bar situation when you're playing a venue for a DJ. It might be different for live music. Um, and you're talking 10 to 15% of the bar. Well, then they also want you to do the graphic design of your work for, or for your event. Then they want you to be a PR person and market that and get all your friends to come because they don't have a built-in clientele. Sure. So by the end of the night, you're relying on the, your own resources to pay your bills and to get you paid for the event. Whereas you go to New York, you go to Miami, you go to Chicago, you go to like other countries, Paris, Italy, Spain, and there's a fee. You get a, a you get a, you know, there's a built-in fee. It's not huge, right. but it's enough but to live off structure. of. Absolutely. Oh, and yeah. it's just, it's it kind of um, makes it more special then for bars then aren't taking artists for granted by just having something live every single night where the person's barely scraping by. It becomes people go trying to trying to find out like what that venue has to offer, what their vibe is. And um, they're willing to pay a cover or they're willing to wait in line or they're willing to, you know, rally up people to go because they know, oh, if they have music that night, that means it's going to be fun. Well, I got to ask, Andrew, I've seen you in concert. Does it work the same way for you? And do you have a way to, to maybe a better model? I like the idea. <clears throat> I like the idea that uh, I could have been forced out of town, but I, I didn't give it that long. You know, for me, there was like a cyclical process of going to play my songs for someone, you know, in another city and letting that 
uh, inspire some scraps of paper that ended up in my pocket, come back home, write some new songs, the process repeats. It was always about being a traveling songwriter for me. Um, but certainly, especially the kind of musicians who are uh, within the lineage of what we would call the heart and soul of N- New Orleans music, you know, that are carrying on that tradition, they should certainly have the option to stay in town because that's what people are coming to hear. Um, but, but I do think there should be a barrier to entry when it comes to the truest, most organic parts of our culture, you know. I gotta ask around, I gotta ask some friends, you know, where's it happening this weekend? And I think, I think that's a good thing, because if we shine too bright a light on the heart and soul of what is New Orleans, it might be too easy to get to. And I think it goes away faster when that happens. You so know? in some sense, uh, you don't want everyone to know about you, but you want to be able to make enough money to... That's, a, that's, um, that's kind of tough. Well... I'd like everybody to know about me, <laughs> just me. <laughs> but I, but I think exception. when it comes to the, the pieces of our culture and our musical culture specifically that are truly carrying on the tradition, I'm a New Orleans songwriter, I'll own that, but I'm also just a songwriter from New Orleans. I think I'm, I'm carrying on traditions of, of songwriters who weren't from New Orleans, you know, but there are people who are making art that is very much about the lineage of this place. And I think that's, that's a delicate thing when it comes to how you market that. You know, that art comes from what passion and struggle. And tourism comes from dollars or, or is, is cultivated by dollars. So, yeah, you want to get those artists paid. But, um, but that's a, that can be problematic pretty quick, I think, you know, in terms of, of preserving, you know, what's happening. Now, Andrew, on another podcast, I heard you talk about your approach to the music business. You said your philosophy at that time was stay small and keep it all. <laughs> and uh, in other words, don't have a bunch of managers, agents, and lawyers all taking a percentage of your earnings. Are you still thinking that way, or have you found that as you've gotten more successful, your operation inevitably has to grow? Yeah, I'll give you another quip that is equally as valid, which is... Um, it was from a fellow songwriter, in fact, told me this over Poe Boys, I'll have you know. Uh, he said, you know, someone else can do your booking. Someone else can do your promotion. Someone else can, you know, uh, help with the merchandise. But only you can make your art. Only you can write your songs. And I think that's important when we, when we consider juggling all these little tasks that make our business move as independent artists, especially, you know, we got to wear all the hats. But making sure that what we're really doing is creating the content we believe in, it, it, you know, comes first. And um, so in that way, certainly I've added members of the team when that felt right, you know, found someone who believed in what I was doing. So I have an agent now uh, with this next record. I'm sure I'm going to get a f- couple more elements of that team together t- just to help create the splash, you know, let people know that this record exists because there's so much music being made these days how do you how do you put yourself you know in some light just to let people who might be interested know that this thing exists if we can get the next record in more ears then that's the goal you know now music locally the media doesn't seem to pay much of any attention to the the club dj and the dance party scene consequently it's a part of the local music industry that most of us 
don't know a lot about. Although you're as successful as anyone could be in that world, you're also a visual artist, a photographer, and a graphic designer. Do you pursue these strands of the creative career because you choose to, or do the limitations of the local music industry force you to go out and do things other than play music? That's a great question. Um, I Well, let me say first that I've been a, like, person of all things visual since I could pick up a pencil so I I would say that I I would be doing them no matter what that it's it's just in my blood to paint and take photos and make and do design and um but you know my my mother being a piano player at Pat O'Brien's my father is from Brazil and him being a bass player and a producer I have the musical gene and I would love to be able to, you know, before the pandemic, I was um, DJing at a restaurant four shifts a week, plus doing private events for um, weddings, things for the convention, private parties for local artists, like, um, and the pandemic annihilated my career. I have I have to ask you, we've yeah, yeah. seen other DJs just I mean, it wasn't great, but they, yeah, yeah. they, they did streaming. Yes. And you pretty much didn't. Why? Because um, I felt like it was social suicide. And that's no offense to like <laughs> any of an my other term at all. No, DJ comrades. <laughs> I just... Um, because what I do is a, it's a micro niche, you know, it's like I play, I try to play the most obscure music I can get away with in any, in any environment. But, you know, obviously if I'm doing a private corporate event, I'm going to have to go a little more mainstream, but people know me and come to see me in other countries and in New York and LA and Miami and Chicago, not because I'm playing music that's really well known. So for me to sort of, to do this, like, streaming watch me dj music you've never heard it's like i just don't think that it has the same there's a kind of mystique that goes along with what i do and the streaming platform just didn't seem right for me my mom however killed it (laughs) she she was streaming every month every two weeks and and you know people loved it and she was able to start a um patreon Mm -hmm. and like you know do stuff like that and I wish that I could, but I just am not commercial enough, I guess, to feel comfortable doing doing that kind of marketing. But um, that said, I mean, I'd love to be able to do everything. <laughs> you know, I said <laughs> when I graduated from Tulane, I was, they were like, what do you want to do now? I was like, I want to work from my laptop. And that just meant like, if I can travel and DJ and do design and photo edit and take, you know, if I could do everything and go everywhere and do it, I'd love to be able to incorporate all of them. Why not? So you were cool before the rest of us only had a laptop. <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with DJ and artist Musa Alves and musician Andrew Duhon. Andrew, you have done... Uh, and this is this is pretty impressive. You've you've bought a lot of new equipment. You've learned a lot of tech skills. I mean, you're all, really were out there trying. I was trying. I mean, I was alone in my bedroom with my guitars in the darkness and had to figure some things out, you know. Uh, but you know, I, I I felt like if there's a positive spin on it, I hadn't given myself that kind of time to just take the scraps in my pocket I was talking about and put them together into some tunes and I I uh, managed to do that and I would make uh, videos just from my room of performing that song so you know it was a way to get the song out there without actually releasing a track so to speak it was still preserved to make a record with 
you know, it was my So was thought. it, a, like, would we call it like a draft? Absolutely. I think that's, that's great. It was a demo, it was a draft, and I would release that draft uh, as a video and call them quarantine songs as a series. Not very clever, <laughs> but that's what I did. So I, I released 22 quarantine songs publicly, just, you know, that, that was the way to release a new song at the time. You know? And then you, you're also part of what has turned out to be a pretty interesting subscription service. What can you tell us about that? Yeah. Patreon was on my radar. People would tell me about it, this subscription-based platform where creatives have a platform to uh, create exclusive content and charge whatever they want per month for people's access to that content. You can do levels, you can do all kinds of things. I just chose to do five bucks a month to uh, gain access to everything I was doing on there. And sure, like from a business angle, it's a way to try to coax people to give you money monthly. But for me, it was a way to create a more intimate group of people. That, and, and for me, I felt less precious about certain things, those demos, those drafts. I recorded a song in the middle of the night that I knew wasn't finished. But I thought that might be special to share more of the oh. process, you know, and, and it's become a little bit of that, but I got to be creative too. And, you know, I can't just record videos of me singing a draft of a song. There's got to be more. So I created a podcast and, you know, <laughs> uh, recorded some covers and made sure I'm telling more in-depth stories in terms of where these songs are coming from, you know. Is it now... Patreon, this subscription service, is it just you and Muse's mom that are involved in this, or is it pretty, is it pretty big? Yeah, it's, it's pretty out there, and I think a lot of folks like me who were on the road, uh, or at Pat O'Brien's for that matter, uh, realize that this might be a good way to, to kind of gather your super fans, your true believers, and, and start telling a story to them specifically. And Muse, when I think of DJs, and I, I guess I see them decidedly as male. Right. Is is that right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that is what I think everyone thinks. <laughs> and if you, you know, especially when I started, which was um, a couple years after Katrina, maybe a little less than two years, um, and I started a '90s night, and I was my first show was at Saturn Bar, and I remember people people asking. So you're going to DJ? You, a woman, are going to DJ? And, you know, I think for a while it was a golden age because not everyone and their mother was DJing. It was a, a little more novelty to have a female DJ. When you and say you're everybody and your mother, you could, I could actually work in it your It could. Case. I know. Yes. Don't think she hasn't yeah. asked. Yeah. <laughs> it's only just an expression to most people. Right. No, she's, in the, she's currently trying to plan a tour for us, nice. which I'm skirting. <laughs> So people, you walked in and people didn't think it was you that was going to be the, the no, DJ. No, and in fact, I have several times, even currently to, you know, the last few times I've played at the restaurant, um, had people, who, whatever man was standing near me, come and tell him he's doing a great job. Oh. And they, ha they are then Bad. like, oh, I have nothing to do with this. It's her. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to ask you this, is, is that you've been out for 14, 15 months you work so hard to get your name and all that. Did it all go away, or can you just retrieve it back? Or I hope not. <laughs> I hope I can, and I hope it didn't just go away. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is really the first time in 11 years that I have a giant question mark over my head about what, where the future will take me. I'm hoping that um, as people start having events again that I'll you know be called back I, I always say that it's like being an actor you just wait for the call mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can't seem too desperate but you also want to seem available mm -hmm. and so 
I'm hoping that uh, we'll kind of get back into a swing of things and also that people will start, you know, like I started the show talking about, um, start using music curators more often. You know, I think that that's like something that, again, is untapped, is is a way that everyone kind of, you kind of keep it local rather than just streaming a, a Spotify, like, playlist. You're paying someone local who's an artist to get gather all the local artists to create, you know, an atmosphere for your business and you know it, it's it's really specific and it's really it can be really special I, I just don't see for either of you how I can't even imagine how difficult it is to make yourself stand out in the music scene I mean it um, are there tricks survival <laughs> survival yeah. that outlast them oh there you go that is yes. <laughs> the, uh, yeah I mean you uh, the marketing end is just just seems well, so difficult. I think. I think. You know. I think that's a great idea that we're talking about in terms of curating music playlists for places that might not have thought that out. But the fact is that when I enter a space and there's music playing, whether I'm consciously or subconsciously paying attention, it is affecting Same, my yeah. experience to the point where, you know, sometimes the music turns off and it's like the vent fan turns yeah. off and you don't realize how much of a stress in you out. Yeah. That's what happens when it's not thoughtful, but when it is thoughtful, it can it can maximize the experience, you know? You know what you're good at, Andrew, and I, I don't know how you do this in the streaming, is you're very good at banter. Do you have anyone to banter with? Um, is it just you and I just talking to yourself, which is a whole different it, thing? It was a whole lot of just running against the wall early on. Um, just trying you know as a songwriter i'm i'm trying to figure out what i have to say you know in song and turns out that if i'm trying to be the conventional touring songwriter i'm imagining it it does continue after you finish that song and it's important to give people context often with some of these tunes you know and that's very useful i enjoy that as a listener when somebody tells me where a song came from before they play it for me uh that can be a powerful thing I was not always uh, even decent at the banter thing, but uh, you know what happens is you, you know you tell a joke or something and they laugh, and so you tell it at the next city. You just got to make sure that the third time you get back to that city, you first told a joke. Maybe you got a new joke. Oh, that know. now that's a difficulty most people it wouldn't is. be thinking of there. Yeah. You could play the same song, but you can't sure. tell the same joke. The, uh, it is you know because I've seen Andrew. I haven't seen you yet perform but is it like um what i think it is are you got uh, geez, a million vinyl records and you're doing scratching is that what you do no and in fact i think this is another reason why maybe new orleans hasn't embraced me as much as um other djs is i don't do vinyl i have two technique turntables i have a million vinyls at my house but that's not what i perform with i used to perform with it but still there's a digital element to it using my laptop that has all my like digital crates which are just all my mp3s and wave files and um it's just if i want to maintain some sort of um bearing the torch for tradition, I could continue to schlep these around and like <laughs> make a point. But I use, um, you know, a, a DJ controller, like a lot of DJs now do. If you go to Europe, 
Um, every club has built-in CDJs, which, I mean, you get the idea from the name. It's rather than turntables, they take CDs. I'm going to use that term this afternoon. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> but, you know, European DJs carry around, or, I mean, even uh, Japanese and all over the world, they're carrying around USBs on their keychain. They plug into a CDJ. They don't need to bring CDs. And then they can just play whatever and wherever, anytime. Whereas there's something about, especially New Orleans, this like tr idea of tradition, not wanting to embrace technology and not wanting, when it comes to DJs, I think that, you know, New Orleans is, has to maintain a tradition with music and especially like original genres from here and stuff. But it's like with DJs, it's kind of like, oh, if you don't play vinyl, then you're not a real DJ. And that's just not the case everywhere else in the world. It's, um, so yeah, I, and this allows me to be really flexible in terms of showing off the vast array of what I can play. If it's, you know, I'm not limited to whatever I just brought to the club, but um, no, so I use a CDJ, my laptop, um, and a DJ controller. Andrew, how much, uh how much better can it get? I mean, if you see yourself three years from now and all falls into place and somehow you've figured out the marketing and such, what, how, how big do you want to be? I just want somebody to pick up my gear off of the stage <laughs> at the end of the night. <laughs> uh, I was looking for a revenue number, but that uh, will be fine. You know, Thank no, you. but to your, to your <laughs> question, I, I do think that there is, there is kind of a, a flattening of the curve in terms of how much better... Uh, you know, I have autonomy, I have freedom, I don't have a stress about when the next record needs to come out. Uh, and were I part of a bigger machine, I'm sure I would have that. And you know what? I would make more records. And I might grow to not be as proud of them as I am of the records that I make in my own time. Um, but, but, you know, the cost of that is uh, I don't sell as many records. But I do think there's, there's, some, there's some place a little further down the road uh, where I'm in more ears and I can book those 25 small theaters in the United States, you know, on an old strip that doesn't have much else going on in some small town, but it's got 500 seats and I can sell it out every time. And when I say, hey, I wrote a new song and I mentioned this place, everybody's on the edge of their seat. That's, that's the vision, you know. I think you're getting there. <laughs> the music industry is a vital part of the Louisiana and New Orleans economy, but unlike other vital sectors of the economy, there's very little in the way of formal state or city financial support for musicians or for any aspect of the music business. Although there are various music lobbying groups who show up at the Louisiana legislature, there's no recognizable industry-wide organization that represents the music industry in a powerful enough way to get the kind of incentives and tax breaks given to oil and gas or, or even the film industry. For that reason, musicians and other members of the music business are pretty much on their own here in Louisiana. As New Orleanians, we depend on music and musicians, not just for the city's finances, but also for a measure of our own happiness. And so it's incumbent upon us to understand and to care about the creators of our own vital cultural economy. There are as many different stories and lived experiences as there are musicians in New Orleans. Music and Andrew, we appreciate you for sharing your insights with us and thank you for everything you're doing to enrich our lives and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thanks, Rams. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been musician Andrew Duhon and DJ and artist 
Musa Elvez. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Andrew's music and Musa's music and art by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Jones Walker. Walker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 